confirmation service, and we are very blessed to have uh, um, Bishop John Chiu, who was eighth bishop of Singapore. He's now retired, but great, uh, graciously agreed to come and help us uh, with this service. So I'm going to invite him now to come to the pulpit to share with us from God's Word. Let us pray. Father, we stand in your presence. We commit our time, and especially uh, brothers and sisters who are about to be confirmed unto you, and pray that your kingdom will be in our hearts. And as we express your love, have your kingship over the world. Be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Rebecca, uh, for, for this special uh, privilege to be here. Um, my first time in this new church, although I've been to the other side very, quite often. And uh, I suppose with Park Chi around, we can be sure that there won't be sinking platform <laughs> in the front. And uh, so it's a great, great blessing from the Lord unto you to be able to gather this and to dedicate and use this as a sanctuary and for your confirmation as well. The passage, uh, gospel passage uh, was read just now uh, hinges on a very ironic type of situation. A man who was on his last breath, so to speak, and yet there was so much talk about the kingdom, the king of Jews. It's a very ironic picture if you really think about it. Um, I don't know whether whoever writes stories won't, won't be able to think of such thing because this can never happen in human history. And yet it is there. But to it's more a reflection and a meditation rather than a sermon. Huh? And because things are of such depth, I don't think I, whether we, we are audacious enough to say we know how to preach. If we have not really grasped the real essence of all this, the, the pathos of this description, we, we are so used to reading the scriptures and just, you know, and now with the apps and all that, it just flow through. But if you have to pause, and we've got to pause very soon because things have changed so much in the world this past year. I won't go into that. But regardless of what's going on down the earth, very soon I noticed that we were going into the shortest day of the year, the longest night of the time when the change of season and this goes on and on when the winter solstice come on. Why I want to say this is that because as we look at the scriptures again, I hope that we will be freed from the so-called mundane or human perspective of things. Then you are reading the scriptures from our point of view, what we want it to be. 
If I may just flow it a little bit back, this passage in the first five verses, because I think it takes, uh, it was started from there before you end up in what was read by, by, by uh, a pastor just now. In chapter 23, verse 1, it says, Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and and the crowds, I found no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee even to this place. And they went on. Uh, Even before Herod, uh, uh, the real governor of the region. Then only finally comes to what was read just now. Now, a couple of days ago, my wife asked me something which I heard about it, but I, I really don't know because I've, thank God I've not been put under that. So, you see, she asked me, what is a kangaroo court? It's almost a kangaroo court. So I went to Google and what is this kangaroo court? I very hardly go to Australia. But the very few occasions, I haven't seen a kangaroo yet. Okay, TV and all that. You jump over facts, you jump over processes, right? Procedures, you get to what you want to get. But with all the drought and all that, it's a very sad thing for the kangaroo and the koala. It's a kangaroo court. But I don't think a kangaroo court will go through this and, and document, I think, you go into the, the uh, records of the of the, of the judge, of the, uh, of the judiciary. It would be embarrassing to record all this. But it is here. And today we are under this very significant transition. I don't know whether you notice. It was just announced today. Today our collect is the advent before Sunday. Or in the church lectionary, some says it's Christ the King. Cannot be more you know, uh, contradictory. Christ the King. But then yet, Sunday before Advent, and you know what Advent is? It's not just Christmas. Christmas is part of the process leading up to the cross. So the question is, hopefully we as Christians, when we pick on an issue, we have the breadth, the height, and the depth of things so that we are not superficial because to be superficial today is, I hope, no, I, I, I've not invested anything in FTX. You know what I mean. You can be so carried away by the immediate attraction of things. But we are, cannot know everything in the world, so we need to know the fundamentals. Now, this was a very interesting, very in brief. It's a very, very challenging uh, chapter, so to speak. And that's why I say I wouldn't dare to. I'm not a legally trained person. Uh, I'm not trained in philosophy and all that, so I wouldn't dare to say I'm preaching. But I'm sharing with you what this came through. It's a very interesting thing. Maybe we say 
to make it convenient, there are three groups of people there. Right? I don't know who is your, you anger into who, depending on who you are, what you are, what you want to achieve. What's your vested interest, I suppose? Here it says, the start of chapter 23, verse 1, that the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. You know, when you use the term, such a big term, whole company, if you do a very careful, a critical analysis, how many percentage of the voters you have? You know what I mean? I'm sure we have been going through all this uh, here and there, right, in the world. If you don't have money, you can say nothing, right? Money, no, no money, no talk. So when you get the votes, what does it really mean at the ground level? But yet here it says, quite happy to say, the whole company it gives you the impression that everyone, they arose. Even though so-called Judah and all that is not a very big country, you know, they span across, right? Mountains and valleys and cities and all that. You really have counted the ruler votes? But you know, it's always those who are in the power, who has the control of decision-making, can say, we speak for the people, we speak for the nation, we speak for history. And they brought him before Pilate, because, again, while you might be able to make a court, so, so to speak, in your own mind, we command you represent the whole company, but you're still before Pilate. You're not running things on your own. You're under so-called colonial or imperial command. So we can do all you want, but at the end of the day, like during the colonial days, you can say what you want at the end of the day. The decision is made elsewhere. So sometimes I feel that we have been a little bit unfair to Pilate, expecting him to be a perfect ideal judge. He's not a judge. He's a, he's, he's a guy who is an agent of Rome. So you can say what you say, ultimately it's the interest of Rome which takes precedence over all things, even normal law of justice. So sometimes I think that we have been a little bit unfair, not so unfair, unrealistic in our expectations of Pilate and therefore Herod. In fact, he's doing precisely what he was tasked to do. You know, as a governor of the British Empire, and here, you don't think they will do what is necessary. They will take instructions from the home office. Even now. And then as they brought them to Pilate, they began to accuse him. Whatever it is it you read for yourself. So it's very interesting. I think in the whole description here, chapter 23, I, if I were to be on the objective side, I think Pilate was doing fairly well as an administrator of Rome. He was playing by the books, going by the books. I don't think you can expect too much of him. Neither is he doing underdoing. At least he gave a hearing, right? He listened to Jesus. You, you know, you know what, what you say about him, you accuse about him. He wanted to know for himself. So when he asked Jesus, are you king of the Jews? Because this was in response to the accusation that they said, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now we can go into uh, uh, critical studies and whether what they say is true. 
But nonetheless, this was one. But I think Pilate was very, very experienced. He's an experienced administrator. If you just go by them, then the verdict is clear. But to be fair, he says, he wants to know for himself, are you the king of the Jews? Now, the surprising thing here is the way Jesus responded. He said, you have said so. Now, if you and I were brought, brought into before the kangaroo court, so to speak, you'd be so nervous, right? Your own people, the religious and the political leaders, all ganging up, accusing you. Where's my lawyer? There's no lawyer beside Jesus, right? But yet, to be fair, credit to Pilate. He wanted to hear and know for himself whether it's genuine or not, but the case is that at least he put. And then he drew the conclusion in verse 4. And he said to the chief priests and the crowds, so Pilate seems to be able to distinguish between the motley crowd, the real key ringleader, so to speak. He said, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent. They wouldn't let him rest there because they won their voice. They won, they, they won their predetermined verdict to be carried because they have the numbers. And they were urgent. They stir, he says he stirs up the people, teaching throughout, you know, getting more and more serious in their accusation. So that, that is the whole background. If you are, in, if you are the, in the place of Jesus, what would you do? I would tremble. <laughs> Where is justice? You know, if you are uh, uh, so a video watcher of this Chinese TV serial and all that, you know something about history, uh, Chinese uh, culture. You go to Kaifeng and hit the drum to this Pao, Pao Kong. Ask him to Sun Yan, you know, to give justice. No, you look at this. Now, if in fact, in anything, a lot depends on Jesus' answer. But he just gave a very flat answer. You have said so. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't help the judge. It doesn't help the proceeding at all. So you cannot just say the, the, the motley crowd. Or, because Jesus himself, the very one involved, the uh, question is, why was Jesus, was he just arrogant or he just blank, blur, you know, confused at that time? Or he knows something about himself and that he decided at this point of time in such a situation, it's not giving more answers, asking more questions. Because there are times when right justice will never win. So he says, you said so. Wasn't helpful to either the defense or the prosecution, right? But there was Jesus. And I think today, especially our brothers and sisters here, if, is there anything in Jesus that brought him to this point? You know, we say, if we are Christian, we are on the right side, we will do this, do that. The, 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 the Western interest group and all that, just look at the Egypt, COP27. There were many interest groups there. 
But there seems to be a time, actually just this, say there's a time for everything. But it depends on, do you know who you are? So the topic of my sharing this meditation this morning is knowing your identity. If you don't know your identity, or know your identity in the one fixed point static sense, you will either react or you will be pushed along. It's only when you know your identity in the active dynamic sense, not compromising, but you know the world is not so black and white. And you have the confidence at times to handle yourself, even in the face in front of a kangaroo court. So we can read the whole chapters. And they, in fact, when they, even later on before uh, Herod, you also found that he was this, nothing guilty about this man, but the crowd, all the, all the, they all cried out, away with this man, release Barabbas. They became more urgent. So I want to say, let's, if we were trying to just be prepared to be objective, I think in, in this trial, so to speak, uh, I would say Pilate and Herod came out not too bad compared to, to the crowds, to the chief priests, and all the instigations. It's the voices, not hard evidence, which counts where they are concerned. So you know when you have the numbers and now with the availability of modern so-called communications, media and all that, you can change the whole world. Do you know who you are? Especially we as Christians in today's world. There are so many issues going on, right? Even in Singapore, not the West. And would you be like Jesus do you have the confidence to be like Jesus? To be quiet doesn't mean compromising. Doesn't mean you're weakling. Because there are time for everything. Now, the whole issue here is about kingship. Or at least the... the no, okay, when I say the Jews here, it's all shorthand. I don't think it represents the whole Jewish population. It's the, the leaders, the chiefs, the scribes, the elders, the Pharisees who think they, they represent, but they might not be the real representation. Yes, they have the power, they have, so they can speak. But to say that, they, therefore, we also have to be very, very objective to the Jews. Not all Jews are bad people. The danger that we shot, shorthand everything lump everything up. It's easy, you know. But it's very, very serious because we cannot commit that sort of uh, blanket sort of uh, uh, assessment. So the issue now boils down to king. Are you a king? I'm sure Jesus knows what is called king. Although the Jews have lived uh, this and the Jewish nation don't, don't really have a real king for many years already. But they know, they keep on aspiring because in their history, in their tradition, in their faith, a son of David will continue to rule in the place. And now this is temporarily. So, the whole issue is, is 
I think we just want to focus on the, this Jewish group. I think we shouldn't spend too much time on Pilate and Arrow because it's easy to say he should have the guts here and there. I tell you, he's an administrator. He's a politician. He's not a judge. He's not been through the law school. So what do you want to expect him? I think sometimes the church has been too, a little bit over unrealistic. But nonetheless, yes, he probably could have done that because he found he has no guilt. But this is a political decision. And you know, in many court cases, it's politicized. You will never get the true judgment, right? So, boys, now to this. The people, the so-called who stirred up, brought the whole company, and now finally we, we identify more and more they're the chief priests, the priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the vested interest group. So when they ask this question, you can see even in verse 2 there, it says, one of the, the problems they found with this man is he's mis- misleading us. But the specific content about misleading us is what? Coming out from the mouth of these Jewish leaders, leaders who are supposed to be leading the Jewish nation, he forbids us to give tribute to Caesar. Now at the ground level, they're all against Caesar. <laughs> Give it half a chance, they will take up, take up arms. Remember the Maccabean? Masada? So it's very, very ironic that they say so. They, they, you know, to say that they forbid us to give tribute to Caesar. Are you serious? You want to give tribute to Caesar? The minting of a coin with the face of Caesar already can cause riots. So you can see that those who you want to take on a certain person, you can create all sorts of reason or unreason. In the heat of the time, you will carry the day. But when you look at it, they say, they forbid us. Now it's not new, you know. They are very pragmatic fellows. I'm not talking about Jewish as a group of people, I'm talking about the leaders here. You will remember if you go back to Luke, the Gospel of John, in the same dialogue here before Pilate. And Pilate was about to release. And then they shouted, say, we have no king but Caesar, remember? Coming out of the mouth of these supposedly to be Jewish leaders, can you believe that? It's recorded. You know it cannot be true. But for the need of the moment to to take down the person who is disturbing their interests, anything can go, even to the point we have no king but Caesar. You know what does that mean? It's going against the very their fundamentals of their faith, of their tradition, of the Torah of Moses. For the convenience of this, they will have to do it. So when I say reading this chapter is very, very tough because we are always engrossed emotionally uh, uh, theologically, spiritually we know this we have no king but Caesar you see he forbid us to con- in other words in front of Pilate Pilate will say wow this is very good that guy sure has to be put down right 
But when did Jesus forbid? Like you say, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? So when, when things come to the boiling point, <laughs> there's no sense of process, protocol, procedure, or principles. But that is what Jesus had to face up. And we ourselves, we have to be. Not that we are going out against, but the world is the world. Don't be idealistic. But then you still have to face up to the world as Jesus had. So when he was faced, and Pilate was giving him the opportunity, I think, asking a very fair question, right? Are you? If you are not, say so. If you are, admit it. But Jesus neither yes or no said you say so. So the question boils down around this. What is a king? Now today we are just on uh, just Sunday before Advent and it's called also Christ the King. Now we Christians, I think we always have a very, our selected image about what kingship is. So we just has run through a little bit about the so-called Jewish leaders. I'm very careful to say that because I think there are a lot of good people down the road, at the ground level, honest people, people who also suffers a lot of the system. But it's the people who are up there who have all the vested interests and they want to ensure they will continue. Now, I would like to think that Jesus is able to answer this. It's because it's not new to him. Being charged that are you a king or trying to bring in kingship, it's not new to him. I think this is where we have to learn our faith, how much debt we have, how long ago, how in history, whether there's tradition, there's a, so, a breath to that, or just because of our own personal experience, very new, or other people's experience, we try to claim it. I'm not saying that all these are invalid, but I say it won't stand up in a kangaroo court. I think Jesus, if you will look at the scriptures, gospels, he has used various terms or themes used to him. He's quite used to the term son of man. He's also used to the term son of God. And at other times, he's talking about the kingdom of God is like this, right? And then sometimes people address him as a teacher, teacher of word, of truth, of law. And sometimes he's also say, use the word Christ. And also at times he says, the son of David. So you can see the richness of nuancing of his understanding. He won't, be, uh, he won't, he won't want to be cornered into only one before Pilate or to answer the crowd. Because answering his crowd, no, you won't be able to answer. They won't hear at all, right? But you must know yourself, your identity. Because I said, if I were before this standing issue, I would tremble, my knees would be knocking. Because my life, my future, my family, all things will be at stake. But yet Jesus was so calm. He chose to be quiet. Not so much quiet. Sometimes silence speaks louder than others, right? But to be able to silence in confidence requires that you have something inside so that you will not be pushed to choose sight. 
So as I said, Jesus in his uh, the Gospels there, various concepts have been used according to where it is, where it's the most relevant and most appropriate. So if our understanding of our faith is very just one single point, so you know what I mean? It's easy to be pushed over. But when you're standing on tripod, you're very steady. Right? Now, I think if we were to look into Jesus, and just now the Old Testament reading, uh, we were reading from Jeremiah 23. I was thinking, what, what, what has this to do, shepherd and this kingship? In fact, if you were to read carefully the scriptures, the Israelites' kings were supposed to be real shepherd. But Jen, Jeremiah 23, or if you want to go Ezekiel 34, have everything negative indictment in the most strongest language against the leaders of the people. They were supposed to shepherd and care, to feed. And yet, in those passages, the Lord says, I see my sheep being scattered. The sickly, no one cared. The hunger, no one feed. So I think deep in Jesus' heart, before he can, he, he chooses to respond to the king. He knows what this all is about. You remember in the four Gospels, just at the point of the, end, the last entry to Jerusalem, the whole issue was about kingship, right? Now, none, none, none of those statements were made by Jesus himself as he was entered to, about, about to enter. And... Uh, and in the Gospel of Matthew, and the people shouted and said, you know, behold, your king is coming to you. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's repeated in chapter 23 again. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I won't go into the details of all that. So it's not new. And none of this was said by Jesus himself, but the people, the crowd, when they saw him going to Jerusalem, they, you know, they, 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 they were just shouting out, bursting out. And then in the Gospel of Mark, it says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. It was those who went before and followed after shouting and praising. Hosanna in the highest. And then when you look in Luke chapter 19, the point of entry, again it says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and on earth. Finally, in John chapter 12, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. But John, at another verse in 15, says, Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. So Jesus knows very well what you're talking about, kings. Do we know? Our definition, understanding a picture of a king, is it so secular and so politicized or so so ideological. So the reading from Jeremiah was a big challenge. How do you reconcile? And I think the lectionary uh, pushes us to read deeper and understand deeper. Blessed is he. So when Jesus was brought before, and then in chapter 23, Luke there, he knows everything about this 
the, the demand for a king, the expectation of a king in the eyes, in the hearts of the people who were under the Roman uh, rule, uh, rule for, for a long time. So that's why you know in Matthew there, that, that, that after 20, the entry there, he says, they shouted, blessed your king is coming, humble and mounted on a donkey. Blessed he, he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then later on, chapter 23, now that's very, very unique in Matthew. Chap- after two chapters, again Jesus said, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, the first shouting, maybe it's at such a level that I cannot identify. Until you say again, and that is until when? When you see the king being the real king on the cross. And that is what they don't want to see. They don't want to know. That's why they are raising all the voices and mobilizing people, you know, and just to get this guy out of the way. So Jesus is not in, ignorant about all this. So what I'm trying to say is, to know our identity is not just what I feel now, my experience, has to go back. And Jesus was able to discern the superficial level of praise and the real heart of the matter. That's why I think that's, what, that's one of the reasons why Jesus chose not, no, no point answering you, right? Because in that sort of kangaroo court situation, you will not, never win either here or there. But he knows the whole thing is not to be settled at this point. It's later on. Later on, when there's no more voices, there's someone hanging up there. And so we read this, the scriptures just now. So do you know yourself? I hope this is, uh, I think, the challenge to all of us, especially to you. Because we're going in, living in a world which will have a lot of voices, a lot of mobilizing. And then if you are not confident, not strong in yourself, you don't know your, your faith deep enough, you will just move here and there. Still assuming that you're on the right side. But Jesus kept quiet. And when Jesus heard all these words, he didn't respond to them. The, when at the entry to the, to the uh, Jerusalem, all this shouting, you just see Jesus was just quietly sitting on the donkey going along. Oh, it's very unbecoming. But I see here, in here, this picture, a man who knows himself, who will not be imposed, allow views to impose on him. And he can distinguish between the external, internal, the superficial and all that. So to him, it's not getting the praises and all that. Is what the Father wants. And I think, if I may just end by all these things, those I read just now, blessed is you who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm sure Jesus knows all this because he was shouted at him. Because it was all deeply ingrained in the gospel, the, the, the scriptures of his tradition, of his faith, i.e. in the Old Testament. I very quickly just run down this. 
You know, one of the first, probably one of the most important occurrences of the, of the uh, ex- exclamation, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is not in the Gospels. It's in Psalm 118. I hope you go back and read. And Psalm 118 comes at the last psalm of the what we call the Egyptian Hallel, 113 to 118. And it said that, that Jesus, with uh, the Last Supper with his disciples, they were reading the Hallel, and coming to the end of this psalm, then he went out into the dark. But then if you were to read this psalm, before blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, in verse 19 there, he said, Open the gates of righteousness that I may enter them and give thanks to the Lord. But as you enter in verse 22, it says, The stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone. On the day of rejection, verse 23 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. I know we have seen some, a lot of some on that, right? Uh, choruses. So blessed is he who comes in the name of who comes? Comes for what? So Jesus is not ignorant. He has death. He has history. He has tradition so that he can evaluate and assess. You know, those verses we said, and then combining this with Shabbat, I very quickly, I won't have time to go in, but to, it's all in those key testaments in the Old Testament, the key, key passages there, all very, very significant to say the least. In fact, before this, even before the time of exile, the prophet Jer- uh, Zephaniah, the collect today, is, you know, we mentioned about the prophets, right? It says, in Zephaniah says, and because they were it's going to go, be sent into exile by the Lord because of their regular and constant uh, the, uh, sin and uh, rejection of God, but the Lord, in order to say this in verse 12, but I will leave in your midst a people humble, and lowly. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. The Lord your God is in your midst. I will not leave you alone. I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. So what posture did Jesus have took upon himself as he rode in? And then, later on, the tremendous Isaiah, we all know this Isaiah, we have no time. You know, we always take it. Uh, so inspired by those opening verses of chapter 60, verse 1, Arise, shine, right? For your light has come. And verse, chapter 61, verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And this is precisely what Jesus started his ministry in Luke 4, reading from the scroll of Isaiah. So as you come to verse 60, towards the end of Isaiah, verse 2, but this is the one to whom I will look. Because in the constant looking for someone, there was no one. The servant of the Lord was blind, was deaf. How could he use them? In fact, it became so serious in the Old Testament that in Isaiah 44, it says, who is his shepherd? The foreign king Cyrus is my shepherd. 
The people of God could not be used. And you say we want a king. We want a king and here a king there. So in Isaiah 66, verse 2, it says, But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So the very verse we just now read uh, was actually taken from Zechariah, the prophet of the returns, the rebuilding of the people. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and helping salvation is he. Humble and mounted on the donkey, a coat, the foe of the donkey. So what I'm trying to share with you this reflection is that it's not a sermon in the sense, but trying to dig the well. We have such deep well. And we must dig, we must know, in order that we can be sustained in a fast-changing world. You'll be pushed to take sides. You'll push to say what is king. Don't think that you have not made a decision. Oftentimes, by not making a decision, you are letting the world run for you. Who is king? The Jewish leaders were very good. They are the really, really want to be king, but they know under the rooms they cannot be king. So they make use of Bulgaria and they, they let Pilate think that he's still king. That's why I come to you. So who is the real king? Jesus knew all about this, not only at the end point of entry to Jerusalem, because what was shouted there brings him back to history, to his tradition. But God says, when I look around, there was no one. My servant is blind, he's dumb. He cannot be a light to the nations. And so they were waiting, waiting. So this is not called for gang being gang ho, one upmanship. Because you had to walk the distance. So may the Lord bless all of us, especially our brothers and sisters. I think at this transition point of the year, um, I think the, knowing your identity as you move from one to another. Amen. <laughs>